I again want to greet each one here this evening in the name of our risen Lord, our risen Savior, the one who is alive and was good enough to leave us His Word so that we know how He wants us to live, right? He can teach us. Thank you, Brother Floyd, for those opening comments tonight. Because of what I, because I knew what the sermon was going to be about, there was one thing that stood out in that. How many of y'all think that there was at least one poor person mentioned already tonight? You think there was a poor person talked about? Somebody didn't have anything in her house except a pot of oil. That's about as poor as it gets. The title to the message tonight is, the last night it was, what is a disciple tonight? It is the disciple and his wealth. And a few disclaimers. First off, I have absolutely no idea where everybody here is as far as wealth is concerned. I can look and I can make a guess, but there's no way for me to tell what your actual wealth is. And there's for sure no way for me to tell where your heart is. And I was talking with a brother recently, not from here, and, and I told him, I think I'm going to preach a sermon about that. And he's like, you better be careful where you preach that. And I says, well, maybe that's a good enough reason to preach it about anywhere I go. So here goes. I know I'm, I'm aware that this is a this is extremely unpopular. It's probably an uncomfortable subject in a lot of Anabaptist churches, and I guess I don't understand why. Because as our master lived and as he taught, there's there's only one or two other things he talked more about in 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 actual in Jesus' actual words than wealth, and never did he speak a whole lot of good about it. And so it's probably because most of us are pretty close to that. And so, as I've had to make decisions and, and go back on choices that I've made based on Jesus' teaching, I would like to, I would just like to challenge all of us on this. The disciple and his wealth. Wealth. Remember, it's not what I say tonight. You need to go back and see. You need to check the Word of God, and you need to see if what I say is accurate. You need to see if what I portray tonight is what God or is what Jesus taught. And one of the remember the marks of a disciple is someone that's going to listen to his teaching, someone who's going to try to understand his views, his reasons, the way he explained it, and then he's going to try to duplicate it, live his life like that. And I asked myself this question a while ago, why did Jesus talk so much about wealth? Why did he talk so much about it? And I don't know if this is a very conclusive answer, but I believe it's because he knew that it was majorly a hard issue. And there's one of the, that's one of the most likely reasons that a lot of people choose to not follow God. And you can probably question that a little bit. Why? Are you sure about that? By the way, I'm not going to close the service tonight, Brother Floyd. I'll, I'll turn the time over to him. And then I'd like for you to, I would like for you to tell me if, if there's anything here that's inaccurate. First Timothy 6, verse 10. For the love of money, that's the hard part of it. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's the love, it's the coveting after, and then it is the, all the sorrows that come with that. Is there anybody here tonight that can say that with stuff comes a freedom? If you feel like with more stuff and more money, you feel more free, I want you to raise your hand kind of what I thought, right? The more you get, the more time you spend thinking about it, the more 
even against your own will, the more you have to... Uh, this causes sorrows. I think that's how it is. I, I've, how many of you haven't felt like already saying, man, I just want to go on vacation for a whole month. I don't want to think about anything back here home. I just, that's the last thing I want to think about is my stuff. I felt like that already, and I, I thoroughly enjoy those times, except somehow after a few days, those things come back in my mind again. Pierce themselves through with many sorrows. 1 John 2 verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Love not the things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That concept of the kingdom of God where you can't, be, you can't serve two masters. If you love the world, you don't have the love of God in you. Mark 4 verse 19, The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches... One of the key words in that verse. The lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. Deceitfulness of riches. You see, I don't think that a rich person knows that they're rich. I don't think that a person that has his heart set on becoming wealthy and that's his drive, I don't think he knows that. I have personally been there and I didn't know it until someone else told me that. I just... Didn't know. And that's why I believe that word deceitfulness of riches is so is such a big part of this verse is because we can actually be there and not know it. And it says that it chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. You've probably faced a little bit of that. You probably know some of what I'm talking about. And you probably also know what a paradigm is. A paradigm is where it's a, it's a thought pattern or a lifestyle or a thought process that you find yourself in. That's just always been like that. And that's just normalcy, right? Is in that paradigm. And so, so thinking about wealth from Jesus' perspective, it is a paradigm shift. I, I agree with that. But how do you know whether you're wealthy or not? I'm going to read off some, some statistics here today, or this evening, and we're going to see where you come in. Now, this doesn't mean this is where your heart is. It's just where it places you in the world. United States of America, this is 2022 statistics. Per capita income means the income per person. In the U.S., that income was $76,399. Now, that's average, right? So we have billionaires and millionaires and maybe even trillionaires. I don't know if we have them in the U.S. or not. But their, their average income, the average income in the U.S. was $76,399. Now you know, I don't know, but you know where that places you, above or below average. Romania, which is the 54th country in the world in the rating in 2022. This is income. This isn't necessarily talking about wealth. This is just income. Romania was $19,530 per person. The U.S. is number eight, by the way. Did you think we were number one? You're mistaken. Now, as far as actual wealth, the U.S. is, is the wealthiest, as, as in assets and whatever. But, but income, there's countries, we're number eight. So, it depends who you compare yourself with, right? How do you know if you're wealthy? It depends who you compare yourself with. Really, whether you're wealthy or not, in a way, is, you know, we say... Some people believe that truth is relevant. I say that wealth is relevant. It just depends. In Honduras, they're way down there, 100-something. 
Their average is $3,040 in 22. It's $3,040. Most of y'all have made more than that this have made make more than that in a month. But they made that in a year, 12 months in 2022. Uganda, that was $1,085. Somalia, $462. This is we're talking annually now. $462. And the poorest country is a country in Africa, Burundi. I made $238. Most of you are making that in a day probably or more. $238 a, um, a year. That was the average of those countries. The wealthiest countries in Europe. I didn't write the name of that country down. Their average was some over $127,000 per person now. Granted, it's a small country. only has 630,000 people so there's not a lot of people to average their income out. But... There are still, even with those statistics, there are still over 1 billion people still. I mean, it's getting better, but there are still over 1 billion people on the world that are living on less than $1, 1 US dollar per day. Still over 1 billion people in the world living on less than 1 US dollar per day. Is anybody here rich? If you're rich, raise your hand. Yeah. Depends what you compare yourself to. You feel wealthy right now, don't you? You compare yourself to the right person, you feel wealthy. In, the, in, the, in his book, um, David Rousseau's book, I forgot the title of the, the book I read that in. This is a quote out of his book. It says, it, it, Jesus, talking about Jesus, Jesus' revolutionary teaching, says this is one of the most challenging of Jesus' revolutionary teachings. Talking about the kingdom, the kingdom concept relating to wealth. I'm going to go, I'm going to read a couple of passages. We're going to read Jesus' words on this. And then at the end of this sermon, I'm going to draw a few. I'm going to, we're going to draw just a few conclusions from this. Matthew chapter 6, start reading verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. And where thieves do not, break, do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. I'm not sure if we... These are Jesus' words. These aren't one of the prophets. This isn't one of Jesus' disciples. These are Jesus' own words. I fear too many times we live like we're not sure if that last statement Jesus made is actually accurate. You cannot serve God in mammon. Do I believe that? Do I really believe that? Most earthly governments don't care if you are if you are taken up with becoming wealthy and having wealth and living a good life. Most earthly governments don't care about that, right? As long as their country is okay, they don't care. They get their share out of what you're making and they're happy, right? What happens when a country when a country comes into war and suddenly they need a lot of people and they need a lot of resources? And then what happens? Suddenly, your 
pursuit of wealth, if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're looking for wealth and you're, you're spending your life gaining that, your pursuit of that doesn't matter to them. Suddenly they couldn't care less either, but it's in a different way. If you're in a certain age group or a certain political status, whatever, all your stuff has got to get put on hold. And you're going to go serve your country because your country comes before your pursuit of that. That's how, that's how earthly kingdoms work. You're going to be loyal to them first and then your stuff, your pursuit is going to come after. They don't care if you profit. They don't care if you lose. They don't care. I mean, like that's, that's not really their problem. You're needed and you're going to, you're just going to, you're going to be loyal first to them. Jesus' kingdom is different from that in that He doesn't draft anybody. You don't have to be a child of God if you don't want to be. You're, you're a child of God if you are by choice. You absolutely don't have to be. But still it's the same in that Jesus isn't that concerned whether His disciples have a lot or have little. He's not that concerned about how your little empire is coming if you're trying to build one. In that He doesn't need that for His kingdom. But what he really wants is he wants your heart and he wants your loyalty first. He wants to be first above all that. In verse 33 of that same chapter, he says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What are all these things he's talking about? He's talking about clothes, he's talking about food, he's talking about shelter in some of these previous verses. He says the necessities of life. You know, these things, you'll have these things, more or less. Um, we don't live in a, in a country or in a community lifestyle where everybody has exactly the same amount. It's more or it's less. But he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's first. And then you'll have what you need to live, whether it's much or whether it's little. And the kingdom of God is always at war. Kingdom of God is always at war. We are in a battle between right and wrong. The kingdom of the kingdoms of this world, they, they fight back and forth and other nations, you know, there's there's a whole mess of conflict right now. And it seems like those things kind of wane and they come and they go, and it's different countries and, and who might be your friend today, you're gonna to fight tomorrow, and it's you just don't know. But the kingdom of God really is at war, and it's not a war between people. It's a war between right and wrong. It's a war between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. It's not about the people. It's about the two kingdoms. And so because of that, your allegiance to God must be first. When the kingdom of God needs you for something, when you're called to a work, God opens doors and He makes it, he makes it plain that this is where He wants you, this is what He wants you doing. Then what you're doing my job, my life, my plans that I have have to be secondary to what the, to what the will of God is. Should we just quit our jobs in and just sit there and do nothing and just, just hope that somebody's going to support us and we can just be full-time missionaries? Should we do that? Well, I'd say not unless it's pretty obvious that's what you should be doing. He doesn't... Jesus nowhere says that you just sit around and do nothing and just wait for God to return. Paul calls him Paul calls himself a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Even though he didn't follow and he didn't live with Jesus all his life, Jesus, uh, Paul was living during Jesus' lifetime. No doubt Paul 
probably had heard Jesus. We don't have that in Scripture. But he was in Jerusalem being taught under Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was there. And Gamaliel was, was listening to Jesus' teaching as well. And so Paul probably heard Jesus' teaching. And if he didn't, he at least heard Jesus' teaching from someone. And so he had this, Paul had this disciple. His name was Timothy. And this is what Timothy, the disciple of the disciple, maybe of the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ wrote. He said, If any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Timothy didn't write that. Paul wrote that to Timothy, to his disciple. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. What's walking disorderly? He goes on to describe it. For you yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an, ex- an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any should not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk disorderly, which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them there are such we command and exhort by the Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. He said we could have, we could have, it wasn't that we couldn't have told you to support us as a, as a servants of God, but we didn't. He said we worked. And he said even when we were among you, there was people that weren't working and we said, we told them to work and, and, and eat their own bread. And he says now we hear that there's some who aren't working again. I don't know what they were waiting on. I have no idea what their, what their motivation was. But he told them again to tell them to work. And that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. They were causing a disturbance because they were being leeches. They were being lazy. Disciples of Jesus are not lazy. Disciples of Jesus are not lazy. Come back to this point a little later. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Jesus lifted up His eyes onto His disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Matthew 5, verse 3, He adds a little bit into that. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. A little bit of difference. The first time He just said the poor, the next time He said the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Oftentimes, I've heard that explained. It means to be Humble or it means to be um, gentle, easy to be entreated. Um, I've heard explained as that. I don't know. Second century church leader, his name was Clement of Alexandria. He said, Blessed who are the ones who are poor in their souls. Who are poor in their souls. What does it mean to be poor in your soul? I don't know if I'm understanding this right. You correct me if I'm wrong. But I think it's saying that regardless of how much or how little they have, their souls are, they are poor in soul. Their souls are detached from these material things. They have them, but that's not what they're basing their life on. Their souls are detached from that. And I'm not sure if that concept makes a whole lot of sense to be detached from our things. But I think really it should kind of be like that because if we're attached to those things and they leave, we're going to follow after them, right? 
So if, if I have a lot and I'm attached to that and something happens through sickness or through it could be a storm or it could even be our country could go to war and then we lose everything we have, right? If my soul is attached to that, I'm going to follow after that. Even though I no longer have it, that's what I'm going after. And I lose my peace and I lose my joy and I lose my anchor because I wasn't attached to God. I was attached to those things. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that aren't attached to their things. They may have more or less than others, but they're not attached to them. There were some apparently wealthy people who ministered to Jesus. Um, I didn't look up those references. I, we're not going to have time to look through all of these, but, but there, there was a few women especially that, were after, that, that followed Him. It says they ministered to Him from their substance, from their stuff. One of them was the wife of Her- King Herod's steward. And King Herod wasn't exactly poor. And I imagine a steward, a person that took care of King Herod's stuff, probably had access to whatever he needed. There was also Mary Magdalene. She was not a poor person. She was a wealthy person. She was a person who Jesus had done a lot for, but she was wealthy. And it doesn't say that they got rid of all their stuff. It doesn't indicate that. They used what they had for Jesus. Whatever the whatever use were, they used it. Peter told, and in the early church as well, there were some wealthy people there. There was some wealthy politicians even. Read some early church history. People that were in, that were in, in, a, in political positions and, and the church, you would usually ask them to step down <clears throat> from that. But they had money. They were people with means. And sometimes we think that in, in Acts there that everybody that had anything they didn't need, they went and took it and they sold it and they gave everything to the disciples and the disciples dispersed that to the people that had need. I don't know if that was the case. You may disagree with me, but this is what Peter told Ananias when he came in with that money that they had. He said, while it remained, wasn't it, was it not your own? While you had that land, can you do with it what you wanted? It was yours. You didn't have to do this. Nobody told you to do this. And after it was sold, after you sold the land, it was turned into money. Was it not in thine own power? You could have done with it what you wanted. He even told him, in my own words, nobody would have looked down on you if you'd have said, hey, here's part of the money that we sold this land for. Here's part of the money. Nobody would have looked down on you for keeping some of that. You could have done whatever you wanted. I imagine some people had more than others. I don't know. Some people kept some, some gave all. What God wanted, what Jesus demands in His kingdom is that He has your heart. And then whatever He asks of you that you're willing to do that. Mark chapter 10, verses 23 to 27. Jesus looked around about and said to His disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And disciples were astonished at His words. But Jesus answered him and said to them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looking upon them said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Notice, that teaching wasn't even popular in Jesus' days. Disciples, it says they were astonished out of measure. And that means like they just, or they were astonished as well. That means they just, they couldn't believe 
that Jesus was saying that. Coming from a culture where wealth was God's blessing. You mean, it's hard to get to heaven if you have riches? And then they even said, who then can be saved? And Jesus doesn't say it's impossible. He says, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Aren't you glad that Jesus said that? Because if He wouldn't have said that, verse 23 and 24 would kind of be condemnation to us. Because we all have riches, let's be honest. We have them. But I think it's, it's, it's a warning how hardly. Remember the word deceitfulness? Choking out the Word of God? Choking out our life? How hardly. It's not impossible. How hardly. And some people when they read this, they say, well, let's just sell all we have and let's join this communal life where I don't have anything personally. It's, it's the community. And, and that happens and that, those things seem to work relatively well. But even inside those, even inside those, those communities, there's a lot of strife and there's, even, there's not 100% equality even in that. It just, it just doesn't work out that way. You have some people who are more ambitious than others and they're going to, they're going to put their, their shoulder to the wheel and they're going to do more and they're going to have more because they do. And you have other people who are a little more laid back and, and, um, and they're just going to have less. Even in a community where everything should be equal, right? Let's look at the context where Jesus said these words. I love how Jesus... This is just one example but when Jesus makes these statements, look at the context what this is in. Previous verses, this, we're still in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. When he was going forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Sounds like a picture of perfection, doesn't it? Then Jesus beholding him loved him and said to him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And then, those verses we had already read, Jesus looked around and shakes his head and he says, How hardly shall they that have wealth enter into the kingdom of God? Jesus didn't ask all the wealthy people He met to, give, to sell all that they had and give to the poor and come follow Him. But some He did. And when He did and they weren't willing to do it, He just shook His head and He said, that wealth is the only thing that's keeping that man from following Me. His heart is right. He's been doing the right thing. He knows the right thing to do and say, but His wealth is the only thing that's keeping Him from following Me. How hard it is. But that last verse, he said, with God, all things are possible. It's possible with God to have things and to be poor in spirit, be unattached to those things, so that when God either takes those things or calls us away from those things, that we're okay with it. 
We don't lose our peace. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12, Paul made this statement, The rest speak, not I. The rest speak, I, not the Lord. And I'm going to say that about the last part of, or these last things I have to go over. These are conclusions I have drawn from the teachings of Jesus. Number one, Jesus says the deceitfulness of riches. We need to be aware because we can be rich and attached to our things and we can be poor and attached to our things. Jesus tells a parable of this man that owed his master an unforgivable amount of money. A debt that he was never going to be able to pay. 10,000 talents. And I'd, I don't even know what that'd be in today's money, but it's, it's probably in the millions or billions. I don't know. It, it, was, it was a sum of money the man was never going to make the rest of his life, even if he was a young man. He just wasn't going to do it. Maybe he tried to start this business and things just went haywire and he kept on borrowing money. and He just wasn't going to make it. And he goes to his master and his master said, hey, it's time you pay up. And he fell down in front of his master. He's like, please, please, for, just, just give me more time. I'm going to pay back every dollar I owe you. And his master could have looked at him and was like, you're not stable mentally because you know you're never going to make that. You, there is no way. You can't even believe yourself. It says he took pity on him and he forgave everything that that man owed him. See, that man was poor and he was attached to his things. Because he goes outside and he sees a man that owed him about a third of a year's labor. And he grabs him by the throat and he says, pay me what you owe me right now. And the man says, please, it's the same words he said, right? Please, please, give me some time. I'll pay you what I owe you. And he wouldn't. He took that man to prison and made him work off his debt in prison. The deceitfulness of riches. That man was poor and attached to his things. So the amount of money you have, the amount of things you have, doesn't say whether you're wealthy or not. It doesn't say whether you are attached to your riches or not. I can be poor, and I can be running over people, and I can be stomping down the next person and taking him down in my pursuit to gain more. But I can be wealthy and be doing the same thing. August 28th of this year, the United States credit card debt surpassed $1 trillion. Do you think we have some poor people that are trying to get wealth, that are trying to get stuff? Reckon we do? You think we got a problem? $1 trillion credit card debt in the U.S. by August 28th. That means that that's $10,170 per household to wipe out just a credit card. That has nothing to do with our national deficit or anything. That's just to pay back all the credit card companies. $10,000 per household. I think that's talking about the deceitfulness of riches. You know, this ad comes in, in this furniture catalog. And even though I absolutely cannot afford it, you know, if I had that kind of mattress and that kind of bedroom furniture and these couches and this kind of stuff in my house, I would be happy. That would make me feel so much better. After all, I mean, it's $500 a month for the, for the bedroom set and it's $250 for the couches. And, and you know, I can, I can do that. 
I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with borrowing money to buy something you need. I'm not, I'm not trying to say you never should. All I'm trying to say is that we can be, I was talking about the deceitfulness of riches. We can be poor and be attached to our things and be trying to gain wealth. There was a, there was a farmer in Illinois. This is, this is a, this is a, a um, he's from a, from a fairly conservative Anabaptist church. Was my near broke recently, and he's going past. He's just got through with a meeting from his banker, and his banker's explaining to him how he can't just keep on in this track. You know, you're going to lose everything you've got. And on the way home, he drives past a John Deere dealership, and he sees this huge John Deere tractor out there. And because life is hard, and he just he's in the he's just in the pits, and not sure what to do about life, just because he stops and looks at this thing. And the salesman almost had him talked into buying that thing because emotionally he was feeling depressed. And there was something about this tractor. Having this tractor would have made him feel good, right? Even though he couldn't afford it, even though he was about to lose what he had. But he, it was that the the thrill or the satisfaction of owning that he was he had almost been talked into that one way that we prove our well that we prove our love for wealth is when we are underpaying others or not paying others just so that we can have more another thing that we hear sometimes is you know when i've got more money i'll give more well if you have a problem Giving, if you've got a problem helping people that have, that have a need now, it doesn't matter how much you get, that pattern is going to just continue. You're not going to give more when you have more. One thing that disturbs me is how, how we, I, I think I would say, bend the teaching of Jesus where He talks about taking someone to law to get what, what I deserve, right? Someone doesn't pay me something, and so I'm going to take Him to court, and I'm going to make Him pay me what He owes me. What does Jesus say about that? I think it shows, it shows where our heart is. What lengths are we willing to go to make a person give me what He owes me? You know what, you know what, um, what God, God says, and this is in Jeremiah, I think it is, maybe it's Psalms. He says, do I need all your money? Do I need all your stuff? Did I need your offerings and your sacrifice? He says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything out there is mine. If you as my child need something, I can give it to you. The wealth of God. Second observation. I was blessed tonight. Floyd had mentioned a few people that were gone on, on the mission field, different places they had gone. But the second observation is when the doors of opportunity open to serve others somewhere. It could be here, it could be anywhere else. What are your reasons for not walking through those open doors? I don't know how y'all of the church have done. I, I, I don't know. So here's what, here are some of the questions I have. You know, we've, we asked, I was, I was until recently involved in a, 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 a church in Guatemala, actually a couple of churches there. We asked a few different families and some of them gave good valid reasons. 
But some of them, after they gave their reason, I was like, wow, I'm glad they declined, if that's where their heart is, right? But some of the reasons you get are just like, what are, what are you living for? Is it, your, is it now or is it eternity? Some of, these were, some of these were young people, some of these were families. But some of the, some of the questions that I, asked, that I asked based on some of, these, some of the answers we got and some of, some of my thoughts as well, do I, do I refuse to walk through those doors of opportunity because I'm young and I want to have a family of my own someday and it's time for me to get my feet on the ground financially and because of that, I'm not going to go anywhere and serve. I'm not going to, I just, I just can't do that. I'm not saying there's never a place for that. If you've got definite plans and the Lord's leading you in that direction, then that may not be God's will for you at that time. But if it's simply a selfish reason for not walking through those doors, then I question whether that, whether that wealth has got a hold of me. Well, my dad, my dad needs me at home and whatever our job is, our shop or whatever we're doing and I feel like I'm needed more at home in our business, and so I'm just I'm going to have to wait a few more years anyhow. I'm not saying if you have an elderly parents, if you have elderly parents, there's never a time to say that. I'm not saying that maybe if your parents do need you, that there's not a time to work out some of those things as a transition. But it is, but if it is simply your job keeping you from walking through doors of opportunity to serve God, then. I question whether that's a valid reason. If it's just because your mom doesn't want to go, want you to go to that country or go to go to the border or wherever it is, because she knows that's dangerous and she does not want her children to put themselves in that kind of a situation, I question whether that's a good reason. And I'm asking these questions not not for the person that is trying to decide whether this is God's will, I'm asking that question to the people around that are going to give their blessing or that are going to advise that person to stay home. <clears throat> Sometimes the answer is because my church needs me at home. Never mind that there's 20 or 30 other families there and there's half of the people don't have anything to do. And they couldn't step into that plate, into that, into that spot where I had that place and feel that. It'd be different, I know. And I know y'all have y'all are a little smaller group, and so there's there's a time for that. We at home have said that a time or two when people ask us, and I'm not sure we should have. Um my reason for asking these questions is to get us to think, you know, the kingdom of God is much more important than our little spheres that we're in. Let's make sure that when God obviously opens doors where we can serve, and, and that, could be, that could be local, that could be in any kind of ministry locally even, let's make sure that it's not because I'm going to lose something when I do that. Let's make sure that there are, there are valid reasons for that. And let's make sure that when we discourage people from walking through those doors, that it's not selfish reasons, whether it's, whether it's financial or whether it's because we're scared we're going to have to do twice as much if that brother leaves because then somebody's got to do his job, right? Maybe it's going to be me. 
third observation is that the disciples of Jesus are not lazy, but rather they are hardworking. There is a, there is a, a danger that because of our, our fear of accumulating too much and then having to be responsible for those things, we can just say, well, you know, I'm just going to take it easy and, and we're just going to be kind of chill and, you know, if I work 20 hours a week, that kind of pays the bills and that way I don't have anything left over and I'm not responsible for anything. You know, if I, whatever, if it takes all I have to live, I'm, you know, what, what, what else am I responsible for? The teachings about being rich then don't even apply to me. Or do they? Well, if you're working a part-time job and the rest of the time you are involved in kingdom work, God bless you for that. There ain't a thing wrong with that. But if you're working a part-time job and doing nothing because you're lazy, that's a different thing. In Thessalonians, he said, work. Pay for your bills. There are, there are times because of age, because of health, where we can't work. There are, there are times and stages in life, people that are crippled, people that are older, people that, that, that can't work or, or maybe, they, maybe they don't need to work, whatever the, whatever the reasons are. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. What I'm saying is when you can, when you need to, but you choose not to and you become a burden to others. I don't think that's, I don't think that's, a, that's a trademark of a disciple of, of Jesus. Fourth observation is wealth is not always from God. Things are not always from God. Sometimes people say, you know, just, just look how the Lord has blessed us. Look how the Lord has blessed me. And we say that in business sometimes. We say that in, you know, we have this gorgeous house. Well, look what the Lord has blessed us with. I hope this isn't a new thought to you, but I don't think that that's always from God. True. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God can give you what you need. No doubt about it. But who promised Jesus up on that mountain that He would give Him all the kingdoms of the world and all the stuff in it if He fell down and worshipped Him? Do you think the devil had the power to give that to Jesus? You reckon he could have done that? I kind of think he could have. He could have. It was in his power to make Jesus wealthy had he got Jesus' heart. And so, I think it's possible for us to find ourselves there because of the deceitfulness of riches. I believe that the affluent culture we live in is not conducive to a vibrant connection to God. I didn't say it's impossible. I just say with Jesus it's a little hard. How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And then I ask this question, where is the kingdom of God? We think about the kingdom of God as being heaven, right? Jesus taught His disciples to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Is that how He says so the kingdom of God has already begun here on this earth. And so, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of heaven on this earth? That's not just talking about eternity. That's talking about now. Lots of people will not go 
Well, lots of people will not make it to heaven. This is, this is quoting the words of Jesus. They're not going to make it to heaven because of their wealth. Because they never got into the kingdom of earth, the kingdom of heaven here on this earth. What about the rich man that went away because he was so sorrowful? That man had a lot of potential. But Jesus said it was just his wealth that kept him from entering the kingdom. He didn't want to go follow God, want to follow Jesus because of that. It was just his wealth. There is a, there is a writing by G.D. Watson I want to read. And what this is really bringing out is that you know where your heart is. I don't. I have no idea. You know where your heart is. And so what this is bringing out is that God has all of us on a different journey. The intention that God has is that His children end up in one place, right? We're talking about eternity. But we are in different, we're in different places. We have different backgrounds. We have different energy levels. We have different, we have different access to amounts of funds. We, we just have that. If God has called you to be really like Jesus, He will draw you into life of crucifixion and humility and put upon you such demands of obedience that you will not be able to follow other people or measure yourself by other Christians. And in many ways, He will seem to allow other people to do things which He will not let you do. You might find yourself in that place. Other Christians and ministers who seem to be very religious and useful may push themselves, pull wires, work schemes to carry out their plans, but you cannot do it. And if you attempt it, you will meet with such failure and rebuke from the Lord as to make you sorely penitent. Others may boast of themselves or their work or their success of their writings, but the Holy Spirit will not allow you to do any such thing. And if you begin it, He will lead you into such deep mortification that will make you despise yourself and all your good works. Others may be allowed to succeed in making money or may have a legacy left to them. But it is likely God will keep you poor because He wants you to have something far better than gold, namely, a helpless dependent on Him, dependence on Him that He may have the privilege of supplying your daily needs day by day out of an unseen treasury. Out of that treasure, He has the cattle on a thousand hills. The Lord may let others be honored and put forward and keep it hidden and keep you hidden in obscurity because He wants you to produce some choice fragrant fruit for His coming glory which can only be produced in the shade. He may let others be great but keep you small. He may let others do a work for Him and get the credit for it but He will make you work and toil on without knowing how much you are doing. And then to make your work still more precious, He may let others get the credit for the work which you have done and thus make your reward ten times greater when Jesus comes. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit will put a strict watch over you with a jealous love and He will rebuke you for little words and feelings or for wasting your time, which other Christians never seem distressed over. So make up your mind that God is an infinite sovereign and has a right to do as He pleases with His own. He may not explain to you a thousand things which puzzle your reason in His dealings with you, but if you absolutely sell yourself to be His love slave, He will wrap you up in a jealous love and bestow upon you many blessings which come only to those who are in the inner circle. Peter looked at John 
after Jesus told Peter what was in store for him, he looks at John and says, well, what about John over there? What about him? Jesus said, what is that any of your business? Follow me. I've got plans for him, but that's not for you to know. That's not any of your problem. Follow me. Romans chapter 14, verse 12. So that every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Remember what I said? The reason Jesus talks so much about this is because it is a hard issue. You're going to give account of yourself to God. And in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 35, Paul was talking about a totally different subject. Okay? I understand he was talking about being married. And he was talking about whether you should or you shouldn't and which is best. But this is the verse I want to close with. This is in the New American Standard Bible version. I hope I'm not taking this out of context. But this is what this is the verse. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 35. This I say for your own benefit. What I've told you tonight is for your own benefit. Not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Let's all bow our heads for a word of prayer.